0: hmm what's geogram i don't know maybe it's geogram how about geogram with a l wicks or is it al wicks just call me ali and it's geogram welcome to geogram the podcast that combines the geography and grammar of the english language i'm your host fantasy and young adult author a l wicks on this podcast, we're filling in the map of the English language with a treasure trove of grammar rules and fascinating facts. You can always find the show notes and transcripts at plopletop.com slash geogram. I think pretty much everybody is heading back to school at this point, and I hope you're all enjoying being back in the classroom. Today we'll take a look at the four sentence structures and the four sentence types found in the English language. Then we have a bit about sayings and sound bites and why they're so important and prevalent in the way we communicate every day and how they help us when life is confusing or difficult. I have a new section again, and I'd like to know what you think of subscription models for eBooks and audiobooks, and also how and why not to be a book pirate. All of that coming up. I have a bit of a fascination with diagramming sentences. It's really quite amazing what you can learn by breaking down a sentence into its separate parts and figuring out how each part is related to the others. It's also very useful in thinking about why a sentence was formed one way and not another. But before we get into sentence structure, the syntax, let's start with the four most basic types of sentences, minor sentences, simple sentences, compound sentences, and complex sentences. A minor sentence is an incomplete sentence, one that usually does not contain a subject or a verb, and sometimes neither. It's more like a sentence fragment, but in the way that we speak or write it, it carries a full expression. The single word sentence, hello, is a minor sentence, as is stop, and carry on, and after you. The next type of sentence is a simple sentence. These are sentences that contain only one clause with a single subject and predicate which is the verb, whether it's a single verb or a verb phrase. This includes sentences such as Jennifer ran, as well as Jennifer ran the rest of the way home. Another set of examples is Milton always sings, and Milton always sings his favorite song in the shower. Simple sentences can contain more than one verb, noun, adjective, adverb, etc., but they do not contain more than one clause. If a sentence does contain more than one clause, it automatically moves to our next category, which is a compound sentence. A compound sentence contains two or more clauses that are linked with a conjunction. A conjunction is just a part of speech that joins two things together, like the words or, and, so, nor, but, and yet. For example, Jack wanted to order a pizza, but Jill knew a salad would be better. This is a compound sentence because the clauses Jack wanted to order a pizza and Jill knew a salad would be better could each be a sentence by themselves and they're connected by the conjunction but in the middle. However, the sentence when Jack ordered the pizza, Jill decided to try a piece belongs to our fourth category. It is a complex sentence because it contains one independent clause, Jill decided to try a piece which could stand on its own as a sentence. And it also contains a subordinate clause, when Jack ordered a pizza, which supports the main clause but doesn't make a complete sentence on its own. So just to reiterate, the four main types of sentence structures are minor, simple, compound, and complex. But before we move on, I want to just mention one last type of sentence, an incomplete sentence. This is different from a minor sentence because even though a minor sentence is more like a sentence fragment, it feels complete or finished. In contrast, an incomplete sentence doesn't finish a complete thought and leaves us wondering either who, what, where, when, or why, depending on the context of the sentence. For example, because they left so late is not a complete sentence, even though it contains a noun, they, and a verb, left, but the thought is incomplete. We can see that it is a subordinate clause half of a complex sentence if we finish it by adding an independent clause. Because they left so late, they missed most of the fireworks show. But why is this an incomplete sentence when carry on is not? The best way to explain this is that a gesture or implied gesture fills the word gap. For example, someone might nod at you and say, carry on. The nod might imply, I give you permission to carry on, or everything is taken care of, so carry on. Someone might gesture with a sweep of an arm and say, after you. The arm gesture fills the word gap of, I'll go after you. It reminds me of the Dr. Dolittle movie with Rex Harrison from 1967, when he learns from his parrot that all animal languages are made up of grunts and snorts and squeaks and squawks, plus gestures. In the case of Good Morning, it's an animal sound plus the shake of a leg. In any case, gestures are a major part of human communication and it stands to reason that some of them have become so ingrained amongst our use of English words that they've become standard English-speaking usage in themselves. Now that we understand the four types of sentences based on sentence structure, let's see how different sentences are classified depending on what is said and the way it is said. The four types are simple or declarative sentences, commands or imperative sentences. Questions or interrogative sentences and exclamatory sentences. First, we have simple or declarative sentences. These are likely to be the most common sentence you speak or hear on a daily basis. They're the type of sentence where something is stated. For example, we need to leave in the next five minutes or we'll be late. Or, the spatula is in the top drawer to the left of the stove. Or, the last time I fed the cat was yesterday. The second type of sentence is a command, otherwise known as an imperative sentence. For example, tell Sophie she needs to feed the chickens tomorrow morning before she goes to school. Or, from instructions on the back of a noodle packet, bring the water to a boil, then add noodles and cook until al dente. Third, we have questions or interrogative sentences, such as, did Sophie feed the chickens yesterday? Or, where should we go for our summer trip? The last type of sentence is an exclamatory sentence and often ends with an exclamation mark such as, I can hardly wait to show my mom, or they'll be here in two minutes. Next time, we'll discuss structural sentence errors including run-on sentences, comma splicing, sentence fragments that don't work as minor sentences, and disagreement between the verb and subject. By then, hopefully some of you will be keen to try your hand at a bit of sentence diagramming. Once you get the hang of it, you just might find yourself diagramming in the margins of your notebook as much as you doodle. I just wanted to take a quick moment in between our two educational sections to tell you that we have a Patreon set up for this podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash geogram, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, .com slash G-E-O-G-R-A-M. Even if you only pledge a dollar a month, that will help us make sure we get this podcast really rolling and as high quality as possible. As a homeschooling teacher mom, I'm hoping there will be lots of parents who find this to be educational value for their kids and themselves. I hope that even my small news briefs of the book world will be interesting and informative to kids. It's never too early to help your little entrepreneur learn a bit of business lingo. Another way you can help us get a good start is to leave a five-star rating on your podcast app. And thank you. Every country, area, town, territory, and family will have their own favorite quotes that they use. We might call them mottos, soundbites, sayings, verses, slogans, proverbs, mantras, snippets, pledges, one-liners, or truisms, and each phrase fits better into one category or another. For example, actions speak louder than words is so often repeated that it's really more of a saying. Most of us wouldn't even think it came from an actual nameable individual because it's so ubiquitous. And the quote, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent is considered a quote because we know it was said by Eleanor Roosevelt, a former first lady of the United States. A truism might be something like, Nothing in life is fair, because it immediately rings true in our ears. A soundbite is more like a very small or short saying that can be repeated quickly in the context of many different conversations, with minor variations as needed to really make it stick quickly in people's minds. Metaphors and analogies can be used for any type of saying, but they fit particularly well with soundbites. For example, one political group became known, for a while, for their soundbites about needed changes with phrases like, the change we can all get behind, or everything is changing, or the long overdue change. And the other political party created a soundbite in response, you can keep the change, which is really more of a one-liner because it was a witty response to counter a soundbite. You might hear an ism that gives you a sense of the place it came from, like the phrase "all will get out, that I often heard when we were living in Tennessee, which basically means completely or entirely, as in, she's as smart as all get out. Or you might hear the phrase like is not around the British Isles, meaning something is most likely to work out or be the likely outcome. For example, like is not, we'll end up wearing matching t-shirts when we go to Disneyland. But why exactly do we use quotes and sayings, mottos and slogans? What do they do for us? While I was busy being a cabin mom at a camp for girls about a month ago, I was often hot, uncomfortable, tired, and a little bit frustrated. I may or may not have had a meltdown at one point, but the other cabin mom that was in our cabin had a perpetual optimism despite dealing with a bad knee in the mountainous terrain, being troubled by the heat even more than I was, and having to get up earlier than she was used to. She kept saying, mind over matter. If I don't mind, it doesn't matter. I found myself repeating it in my mind over and over the last couple of days, and I was surprised by how much it helped. I've never been what you might call a cheery person, but neither am I a Debbie Downer. Overall, I'm pretty even-keeled and I just get on with things. And yet, even I needed a bit of added mental fortitude, and I found it in a saying which helped change my focus. There are lots of reasons we like sayings. Sometimes sayings are useful in reducing a complex concept down to something simpler and more understandable. Quotes are used as succinct, well-written, or well-spoken phrases that convey a particular message— often from a respected person or an authority on the subject. Mottos are used to unite individuals around a common goal, whether it's for a time period or within a specific setting. We're almost exactly halfway between July 4th and Constitution Day on September 17th, so let's end with three political sayings from American history from three former presidents. From Bill Clinton, There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. From Harry Truman, quote, it is amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. And from Abraham Lincoln, quote, the best way to predict your future is to create it. I just want to make a quick note here. That last quote is also attributed to Peter Drucker, but I did some digging and I do believe it's correctly attributed to Abraham Lincoln. And as always, I'd love to hear from any listeners who have something to add or correct in cases like this. We hear sayings every day from a parent who says, better safe than sorry, or actions speak louder than words, to our teachers who say, nothing in life is fair, or that's not the grade I gave you, that's the grade you earned. A coach may say, no pain, no gain. And a fellow camp volunteer may say, mind over matter, if I don't mind, it doesn't matter. If you have a moment, send me a message on Instagram or Twitter or via email to let me know what your favorite sayings or quotes or mantras are and how they help you in your life. I'd love to hear the sayings that help you, and I'd also love to hear the stories behind why they mean so much to you. Now for some news. Subscription models have been the talk of the creator industries for a long time, first with music streaming services and movies on demand, and now for ebooks and audiobooks. I have paid easily hundreds of dollars for audiobooks through Audible and other sites, and hundreds or thousands of dollars for hard copy books and textbooks, and I continue to do so even after I discovered audiobooks on Hoopla, which I had access to through my library until we moved, and Scribd, which I use now, mostly for audiobooks. I have not yet tried Audible Plus, but I'm sure I will someday. The thing is, even though I'm an author and I definitely want to make sure authors are paid fairly, as a reader myself, I love the subscription model. But that doesn't mean that readers using subscription models and authors getting paid has to be mutually exclusive. Just like with KDP Select, subscription services pay authors royalties based on how much their book is read or listened to. But I don't think royalties is the only thing authors should be focusing on. I think of various things I've picked up over the years from the music band that chose to give its music away for free in order to undermine its own digital piracy problem. And instead they made money on concert tickets and swag to the shifts in the entertainment industry as a whole, because the book industry is not just a book industry. It's really part of the entertainment industry. And I think we need to start thinking of it in that way. That's the reason why I think subscription models are and will work for authors. People can either spend time listening to music, or they can listen to an audiobook or podcast. I used to listen to a lot more music 10 years ago, but now I almost never do. There are a lot of people like me who have switched to entertainment consumption, and anything that turns people into readers, even if they're audio readers, is a win for the publishing industry. I don't have all the answers, not by any means, but even though I'm an author and I'm on that side of the aisle, I can see that more and more people are consuming word entertainment versus music or stre- or, or screen entertainment, and that is going to build a reading habit in them that, that will only benefit the book industry. There are still some kinks that need to be ironed out, but I believe that they will. I also think that any publisher or author who is trying to grasp grasp tightly to the old way of doing things isn't going to be watching for the best way to do the new things, because the new way is coming, whether we like it or not. As a reader and audio consumer myself, I can see it, and I know that I need to find ways to make it work for me. I want to end this section with a quote from Jane Friedman's Hot Sheet newsletter. A former CEO of Holtzbrink, George Fuhl, is a believer in subscription models. He said consumers prefer such models and that the consumer always wins in the long run. Which should seem obvious, but isn't always. If the consumer doesn't quote-unquote win... That means they're not getting what they'd like. And if they don't get what they like, they probably won't pay for it. My opinion is probably going to be unpopular with a lot of authors, but especially now that Pearson has added a subscription model to their lucrative textbook industry, I believe that subscription models for ebooks and audiobooks are here to stay. There's been quite a lot of news lately about piracy. Any book that has gained any sort of desirable reading factor is going to be pirated. That's how it's been ever since words were inked onto a page. It's much easier to do nowadays, and there are easy-ish ways to be alerted about the worst offenders. But if someone really, really wants your book and they really, really don't want to pay for it, they'll find a way to get your book without paying for it. On the other hand, if someone really wants your book and kind of doesn't want to pay for it they'll go for a cheaper option like a subscription model or an ebook. If someone only kind of wants your book and really doesn't want to pay for it, and they can't find an easy way to get it for free, they'll probably shrug their shoulders and say, never mind. I feel like I'm setting up a verbal Venn diagram for the very center point where someone would actually go through the effort to find a pirated copy, but the point remains the same. Those who really want it and really don't want to pay for it will find a way to have it without paying for it. But in my experience, a lot of people will feel that trying to find a pirated copy isn't worth their while, especially since a lot of pirated copies are actually virus loaded. They'd rather, these people would rather pay a dollar or two to get an honest copy that definitely has all the pages intact and in order. Nothing is worse than getting partway through a book and finding that right as a scene is climaxing, you have a missing page. It was not uncommon for it to happen to smuggled or pirated books back in the 1800s, and it can happen now to digital versions. But let's just say that piracy does cause an author to lose a significant amount of money, because there are a surprising percentage of people who say they do pirate books on a regular basis, with all kinds of justifications for why they do it. I'll put a link in the show notes to an article from The Guardian about this if you're interested in reading about the percentages. First, you should take precautions to prevent it From becoming a bigger problem by copywriting the book in your country so that if you do have to issue a takedown notice, you have some oomph behind it. Second, if you're so worried about someone pirating your book, make sure you are paying for all the music and other digital products that you access. Because if you're not, well, karma, right? How can you be mad at other people pirating your ebook if you're doing the same thing to other creators or developers? Third, educate yourself and figure out a certain protocol of when to fight back, how to do it, and then when to let things go. Kindlepreneur has a great article about this, which I'll link in the show notes, that will help you understand the pros and cons of different methods. It's just part of doing business in the book business, protecting your intellectual property or IP, and you should make sure that you or your publisher is on top of that. Honestly, it's it's a bit of a game of whack-a-mole, and you should do what you can, but after that, You'll have to let the issue go. On the other hand, if you really, really don't want your book to be pirated, you could always refuse to put it into ebook or audiobook format and just sell it in print only. Someone who really wants to pirate your book may take the time to purchase it and scan it into a computer, but you've really decreased the odds both that it will be pirated. And that it will be purchased, because if certain readers prefer an ebook, they're not likely to purchase anything other than an ebook unless they really, really want your book. So it becomes a trade-off and you have to decide which side you want to lean towards. One very interesting article from Publishers Weekly notes that, quote, an awful lot of ebook piracy could be abated if courts applied the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, as Congress originally intended, to incentivize ISPs search engines, web hosting providers, and other online services to actually cooperate with the copyright owners by disabling access to known pirate sites and preventing uploads of content that has been identified as pirated, end quote. So if this issue is really a big one for you, maybe it's time to get involved politically and try to create a change that hits more at the root of the problem. As always, it comes down to how much time and potentially money you're willing to invest in protecting your work. Something I'm loving right now, uh, I'm still working my way through Law 101 by J.M. Feynman, so I can't give the the book a full review yet, but it is fantastic. I would recommend it for any teenager or adult, anybody. Everybody should have at least a foundation in the way law works in the United States. Instead of a book, though, I wanted to mention something else I'm loving right now. If you've read the first book in my Gell and Parker fantasy series, you'll know that I mention plants a lot. That's because I love gardens and plants. I think they're fascinating and amazing and so interesting. There's always more to learn. I've got an episode coming up in a few weeks on plant names and the genus and species naming system we still use that was created by Carl Linnaeus. And the plant thing that I'm loving today, I have a south facing bay window in our new little house that we moved into about three months ago, and it's made it easy to actually have a small indoor garden. The one plant I'm particularly enjoying right now is called a panda plant. It's not black and white, but it is fuzzy. So I guess that was enough for people to think it merited being named after the adorable panda bear. Coming up next time. If sentence fragments are grammatically incorrect and often incoherent, does this mean that you should never use sentence fragments in your writing? And if a book contains a sentence fragment, does that mean it's a poorly written book? The answer to both those questions is, not necessarily. Until next time, finish a book, leave a review, and pick up another one. You can find me on social media as alwix or ALWIX, or you can reach me at alwicks at protonmail.com. If you'd like, you can also write to my publisher, Ploppletop Publishing, at contactus at ploppletop.com. And thanks to them for their support. Please take a moment to give this podcast a five-star rating and subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. Our theme song is Time for Supper by Golden Age Radio. All other music and sounds are from Epidemic Sound. If you're unable to find this podcast on any podcast app, please drop us a line and let us know so we can make sure it's as widely available as possible. Transcripts and show notes, including links to all news stories and research I reference, are available at ploppletop.com geogram. And thanks for listening.